I've um, I try not to drink milk in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've started drinking. I found this soy that I put in my coffee that's mm-hmm. really good, but mm-hmm. they were out, so I got this coconut milk one, and mm-hmm. it's so gross. It's almost sour. Oh, really? Yeah, coconut always, <clears throat> no matter what they say, always adds some sort of like coconut flavor. You know? Do you? Do you? I I, I can only drink cold brew coffee. Uh-huh. Because regular coffee fucks my stomach up, like fucks it up. Yeah. So, oh, welcome to 40. And um, so cold brew does nothing. I love it. And Khalifa Farms makes that one with the almond milk already mixed in, which I'm yeah. like you. When I put almond milk in my coffee, it does nothing. But I don't know what they do. It has that sort of uh, fatty mouthfeel yeah. that you get. Cashew milk, cashew milk does it too, mm-hmm. but... Um, this one soy one that I found is kind of fatty and good. Um, you know what I do with my Khalifa Farms? What? I don't even know. This is what a fucking why I'm diabetic. Type 2. Not to put the onus on type 1. Uh, is I've never even tasted Khalifa Farms by itself. I just immediately added two Splenda (laughs) to it. I don't know what. Maybe it's perfectly uh-huh. sweet by its own accord, yeah. right? I'm like, eh, too splendid. Yeah. Doesn't. You know, when I get the sugar-free vanilla iced coffee at McDonald's, but this is not. I have tasted it without it. It depends on who's doing the mixing of that drink. So sometimes yeah. you can get some that are perfectly fine, and then sometimes you can get some that, ugh, no, it's gross. Like they didn't put any sweetener at all, right? So I always have them add too splenda. Yeah, and then that's great. That does the trick. Anyway. Hey, um, real quick. Uh, hi, Joey. Oh, hello, Mike Lawson. And hello to everybody listening. My name is Mike. That's Joe. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Joe lives in L.A. We have been friends for over 15 years. <clears throat> and every, I'm, it's so smoky up here. I can't breathe. Um, every single week, Joe and I call one another. And we catch up. And sometimes, just for fun, we put out an extra episode, which we're doing right now. Um, oh, I thought you were going to – sometimes we have a cliffhanger and then don't address it yeah. in the next episode. <laughs> so I guess a couple weeks ago, Joe and I recorded – he told a story about Timothy. And you're going to have to catch me up because, mm-hmm. to be perfectly frank, yeah, I – I don't. I, I already know the story. That's mm-hmm. probably uh, a better way of saying this. I don't remember that there was even a cliffhanger mm-hmm. because I know how it ended. So I'm not sitting here thinking like, please, Joe, resolve this for me. Yeah. But we've gotten quite a few people reaching out on social media saying you never finished the Timothy story from a couple weeks ago. So I'd like you to catch us up on where we left off. And then we'll finish that story. And we're going to put this out immediately. Yeah. Um. Even though we're going to record another episode in a minute. But that'll take some time to get out. But. Um, so please catch me up, Joey. Did you get any private? Um, cause I got a couple of private text messages too. Like, hey, you um, forgot to finish this cliffhanger. I don't think so. I think all everything I saw was on social media. Oh yeah, so. friend of the show Beth messaged me yesterday. In fact, which is good because you find out when everyone listens to the show. Sure, we should do this more often to find out a who's listening. By the way, Taylor the Latte Boy hasn't even brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be. Like- but also, some February. people probably heard the cliffhanger and they're like, "Oh, okay, they'll finish it eventually, or they won't." Mm-hmm. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe I'll never find out how. Yeah. Now we know we officially have eight listeners. <laughs> Wait, please though, catch me up. Where did we leave off? What was okay. this cliffhanger about? So it? I have a friend, Tiff- Timothy. I'm gonna call him Tiffany. 
Uh-huh. Um, maybe that's his drag name, Tiffany. But uh, Timothy, you know, we've been friends for a very long time. And um, we had had a falling out. But then we had sort of started reconnecting. And when we reconnected, he revealed to me that for the past two years, or the two years prior to us talking right then, he had been suffering with from HIV. Right? The effects of HIV. Yeah, suffering. From, I don't know if suffering from, but yeah. um, had, living with, living with. Thank you, living with <laughs> HIV. Okay, and it was very hard for him to tell me. And sure. at the time, sounded like he was going through an emotional breakdown, and I didn't know how to deal with this. And then, as the summer progressed, because he told me in June, the emotional breakdown never got better; it only got worse. And he started to sound more erratic, and he started to sound much more paranoid. And would ramble for hours on end. And I want to tell you that I didn't mention this last time. Uh, maybe in the middle of the summer, I was with a friend of the show, Jean-Paul. Okay. And he, when I told him, he said, is Timothy on meth? And okay. I laughed because I was like, no. Because Timothy... Not only his whole life has been so averse to drugs, but had just recently gone through it like hardcore with a member of his own family who uh, was on drugs. And that member of the family went to prison and it was very hard on the family and had just recently got out and when he had been through it. You know, so I was like, no, I I told John Paul he was stupid because the reason John Paul knew was he knew somebody that he's close to. Who had had a meth problem, and and I, I guess it's rampant in the gay community, as I later find out. So yeah. I just laughed it up, and the summer went through, and he kept like Mike. The phone calls, I would just say hello, and he would start talking and not stop for hours, and about how his friends were. Uh, he didn't want to hang out with his friends anymore. Now, one of the things I'm, I, I should mention as a catch-up is he had, like, we would be talking, and I think this is important. I would be talking throughout the summer, and he might say, like, okay, I got to go. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to go see R&J, and we're meeting for brunch. So I'm at their house now. I'm like, okay, bye. Or he'd be like, oh, I got to go. R&J are coming over, and we're going to, like, he had just bought new, he had moved somewhere, and he was buying new furniture, and they were going to come over and help him decorate his apartment. I'm like, bye, you know? Yeah. And so I was like, thank God he has these friends, you know, that are there for him because he's going through a lot right now. And then all of a sudden, in the late summer, Timothy started getting more and more paranoid to the point where he started accusing me of talking about him behind his back to his friends and sure. saying awful, awful things for me to me. And so we, I disconnected. I go, you know what? You have a lot going on. Because he even said, like, my therapist said that... Like, I remember he said something that I was like... He said, my therapist said, you're toxic. And that I should disconnect from you. I'm like, whatever he said, I was like, no therapist would ever say that. What it was, I remember whatever it was, it was completely unprofessional. But I didn't know who his therapist sure. was, so... Also, like, <laughs> then let's disconnect. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was like, all like, right. Bye. Yeah, sure. You know? If that's and, how you feel, certainly, then why why continue to come around yeah and, and timothy and i often disconnect you yeah. know have often as you know throughout sure. our friendship there's a lot of disconnection we've probably only really been friends for five years yeah so <laughs> so uh 
I just disconnected. Then that's when we remember from last time the ex boyfriend called me, and then and when we ended, it, he called me in tears. He said that Timothy had uh, was you know thinking that he saw people in his apartment that the gym was sending messages through him through lights and he was and that's kind of where it got ghostbusters 2 sort of yes yeah yeah kind of hearing people Mm -hmm. or someone was in his apartment yeah that kind of so that's when i raised the alarm and i um oh so anyway i raised the alarm and that's when i called r and j and then just to really briefly catch up uh through other means i got a hold of another friend that friend rushes over, bumps into Jay in the lobby. They both go up together, and I get a text message later. We're with Timothy, and we've called the police. Okay. Okay. So I'm like, Is oh. that where you left off? That's where I time? left off on the cliffhanger. Okay. So this is where now this, there's a lot we're going to learn. We're going to learn a lot in this part of the story. But uh, one of the things that I learned about myself was just i don't know i, I want to get your opinion on this even though you know the story and i've gotten your opinion but like rnj and everyone in timothy's world are very type a personality people he is, he's friends with a lot of type a people yeah and so i got like that message about the police and obviously i because re- uh the friend told me that jay was basically handling everything himself okay then they call me the friend calls me i'm going to a meeting i'm about to walk into a meeting and says do you have timothy's uh any phone numbers for anyone in timothy's family and as you and i both know timothy has a very contentious relation no he had a fine relationship with the family but like he's very protective of his family i'll say sure okay and his privacy and I knew that these people didn't know about a lot of what was going on. So I said, listen, I it, I understand what you're saying. I do think you need to call his family, but please be very careful when you call. And that got them really upset for some reason. And at that moment, I was cut off from any kind of information. They circled the wagons and they cut me off. Sure. So I didn't know for months... Well, that's not technically true. I got a very, very, very brief, almost like a lawyer combed over it, uh, rundown from Jay uh, two weeks later. So for two weeks, you guys, you know what? You guys had to wait the same amount of time that I did to find out what happened to Timothy. Actually, I didn't realize we're doing it. Yeah, I had my own cliffhanger. I didn't know for two weeks. I just knew the police came. That's all I knew. Tim, uh, Jay did call me like two weeks later and said, hey, listen, things have come down here. So I thought I'd give you an update. But literally all he says was we walked upstairs and what we saw was awful. Uh, Timothy had clearly been using drugs. Uh-huh. And we decided that it, it, the situation was terrible and we needed to call the paramedics and the police. And then he goes, that's all I can really share with you. And he goes, no, we did an intervention. We, we, took him, we took him to a friend's house. We all took turns, and we did 24-hour surveillance on him until his family arrived. Then we did mounted an intervention, and we sent him to a rehab. I can't tell you where that is. If you need to know, talk to his family. Okay. So I decided, you know what? I'm just going to, like, 
I know his family very well, actually. But I'm like, you know what? I'm sure the last thing they're like, oh, our poor son, ever going through. Because also, that was when the family, at the intervention, FYI, that's when his mom and sister found out not only about his drug oh, problem. No. Oh, no. But his HIV status. Okay. I mean, they're getting a, a double wallop, right? So they're dealing with a lot. And the mom has just gone through it with the brother. So I was like, I'm not going to be like, hello, this is Joe. <laughs> like, how's everything going? You know? So I just let them have their privacy. Yeah. So uh, I didn't know anything for Mike. Months. That's all, that's all Jay told me. The one thing, though, here's the part that I, the reason I mentioned some other stuff in the story was when he said, uh, Timothy looked horrible. And I said, but wait, I mean, do, don't you see him all the time? And he was like, no, I haven't seen him in months. Oh. And that's when it, it was like the end of the usual suspects. When yeah. the cop is there, he looks around and he realizes every like that was when all the signs and all the clues and everything that had been there that my friend was a meth addict. Yeah. Especially the big clue where John Paul said he's a meth addict. Yeah. Um like really like, Oh shit, Bruce Willis is dead. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, We've been telling you he's dead. <laughs> like anyway, um and what's funny is I, it the talking the million miles a minute, but then I was like, and this is the one of the lessons I learned is whenever I had heard, I can't speak for everybody else. Whenever I had heard in the past that drug de- that drug users were really good liars, and I was like, mm, that's because a the people want to believe it, but b no that was it they just want to believe it. <laughs> that they're yeah, not that good liars. I think I think also when you hear like oh drug users are good liars, you think like. And they're lying to steal my money. And yes. they're lying to like do bad things. They're not just like having hour long conversations filled with lies. Yeah. Like, and so and well yeah. what was weird was he lied about things that why would you lie about that? Like why would you lie and say like, Okay, I'm here, I'm meeting, I'm meeting R and J for brunch, you know? Or yeah, they're coming over and helping me fix the apartment. And he was like, Yeah. And he had been lying to everybody. So in other words, that's why no one was concerned. They thought he was seeing a bunch of people. When in reality, he had seen no one. Yeah. Right? Uh And so I think I talked about, uh, in the previous episode, I know I did, a guy named Maxwell. So I said, is Maxwell a real person? Because I was like, I was convinced that he had built this person. Because the person sounded so bizarre and like a Tyler Durden character, which I realized last time I didn't explain, but it's from Fight Club, the Brad Pitt character in Fight Club. Yeah. Is, and if you, spoiler alert, he doesn't exist. Um, Jekyll it, Hyde. It's Jekyll and Hyde. So, and Jay was like, oh no, he exists. And uh, the people in the apartment building have been informed not to let him into the apartment building anymore. And they've agreed. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. It was, I that, even that little bit of informa- information I got was like, oh my God. Months go by now. Months. And I, you know, I knew that Timothy had been in rehab. I knew he'd gotten out for some reason. Oh, he sent me randomly in October a Snapchat of himself looking good. That's all it was. It was just a, a Snapchat. And when I responded, no response. And then finally, like in November, so this is two months later, I get a 
phone call from him. And we reconnect, and he tells me what happened that night. So, what here's what happened. And I remember he told me, you know, it gets dark earlier. So, it was only like 6 o'clock at night, and I was in traffic on the freeway. And he told me, I remember being so scared. It was almost like a horror movie, you know? But he told me that basically what I didn't know was that Maxwell had been living with him. And that Maxwell would use him essentially for money, for drugs. And they would use meth together. And they would go on these, you know, like meth binges. In this one particular instance, he and Maxwell did something, I guess meth or something. And then Maxwell said, hey, I got to go. And then left. This is an item of contention because Timothy is convinced Maxwell gave him something more than meth. But Maxwell experienced something he'd never experienced in meth before. Where, like, a few minutes after Max, I'm sorry, Timothy experienced something he'd never experienced before. Because a few minutes after Maxwell left, he started to hallucinate. And he started to imagine that his furniture could talk to him. Mm-hmm. And, like, I was looking at him. And so he opened up his computer, and all of a sudden he just saw fire and flames. And then a demon appeared on the screen and told him, kill yourself, kill yourself. So he ran to his bedroom and he locked the door and he was in the dark and he could hear a large demon type figure in the room, like a beast breathing. And he was scared out of his mind, hiding under the blanket. And the demon was like, go kill yourself. There's a blowtorch on the kitchen counter so he just got up and went and took the blowtorch and lit his head on fire and then he realized what i guess the pain from that made him go like what the fuck am i doing he like put the fire on he's like why am i doing this i need to maxwell did this to me fuck him and he took all of maxwell's clothes put it in a pile on the floor and then lit the clothes on fire and the, he remembered, I remember at some point in the story, there was an old lady, this is where the old lady comes in, like was sitting down staring at him while he did this. And he was freaked out, like, who was she? So then he lights the clothes on fire and then the fire alarm goes off. So he runs out of the apartment and then he goes running around his city for, he doesn't know how long. And the only, he, doesn't, he actually doesn't even remember this. The only reason he knows it happened is... He bumped into a friend on the street and took a selfie with him. What? Yeah. But he went running around the city. I can't remember why. He, he knows why he was running around the city, but he was running around the city for a long time. Like, barefoot, I think, too. He gets back home. Fire alarm's still going up. But when he approaches his apartment, he sees, like, giant ivy on, like, the doors covered with ivy. So... He opens it and sees all the smoke and the fire alarm's going off. So he gets scared. I think he hears people coming. So he hides in the closet. And that's when, like, the fire department and the the building manager walk in. They're like, oh, my God. Because of the furniture talking to him, he had turned over all the furniture in his apartment. So they just come in and see, like, a smoky apartment with, you know, clothes on fire and, and furniture overturned. And then they leave. So then Timothy 
I, I can't remember at one point, I think this is before he lit his head on fire now that I think about it. He swears that he heard his mom and Maxwell in the hallway laughing at him and making fun of him. That wasn't their thing. So then he goes to the gym and starts working out, I think, to get an alibi. That's what I think. And maybe he would agree. But he goes to the gym and starts working out. But, you know, it was like four in the morning or something. And so it's four in the morning. There's no one in there. And he says that there were little children on all of the gym equipment just staring at him as he worked out. And then he went back and actually was arrested. So the fire marshal comes and arrests Timothy. They take him to jail and book him on, like, destruction of property or something. And they release him on his own recognizance. And then he it's just a misdemeanor or something. And then that is when he, he had just gotten home when... Jay and the friend walk in and see him, and it. I'm sure I missed many details, but that's a good. That's a good. They called the police. They called the paramedics. They yeah, they called the paramedics. Oh. Yeah. Then they took Timothy to the hospital, and in the ER, and they just ran a drug test. Now, this is where Timothy and I disagree. Timothy to this day, and actually, I here's where I agree with Timothy. So his thing is he's mad because the doctors only ran certain tests and didn't run a, all these, a battery of tests that he asked for because they were just like, uh, you're on meth, right? Mm-hmm. So he's like, no, please test me for, I think he wanted them to test him for some sort of hallucinogenic, like LSD or something, and they wouldn't. And now he's convinced that, you know, Maxwell gave him LSD. I don't think Maxwell gave him LSD. I think that meth-induced psychosis can happen. I read up on this now. But I wish they would have because now he's convinced of it. Does that make sense? Because they didn't test him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that it was – I know at the hospital he tried to run away. And I think actually the doctor was encouraging him to go to rehab from there. But he like um, went AMA against medical advice and checked himself out. And then that's when they took him to the um, person's house. And they pretty much locked him in that room until his family got there. And then he went to rehab. And then went – so – that's that story. Now, uh, I've gotten a lot of wisdom since then because when he got out of rehab and he called me in December, I was like, yay, my friend is back. He's cured. This is wonderful, you know? But as you and I both know, that really wasn't the case. And what I've learned with people who use meth is the effects last for a very, very, very long time. Because when we reconnected in December, he was normal-ish. But then very quickly went into this almost the same as when he was on meth, where it's hyper paranoid, talking a million miles a minute, nonstop talking. Now he was convinced that Maxwell and his friends had hacked into his phones and were sending him messages and tracking his every movement. And I was like, ugh. And then it turned into in January, I was like, still trying to be a good friend. In January, he accused me of working with Maxwell to break into his phone. And as you know, and I discussed with you in private, I was very depressed because I said, my friend is dead. Sure. Like, he's gone. He's gone. This is not my friend. So I disconnected again. And I said, that's not my friend. That's a a zombie. You know, Uh, my friend is dead. The person I knew is dead. And I was very sad about it. I mourned his loss like I would a death. You know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I ever talked about it on the show, but around that time, uh, Cameron and I reconnected for a weekend and spoke. And I remember I broke into tears when I was telling Cameron about it. 
and because my friend was dead to me. Now, then months and months and months went by, and Timothy and I reconnected in June. And for a few days, he was perfectly normal. He was back to the friend that I knew, but then he started the paranoia again. But this time, the paranoia, it wasn't, I wouldn't even call it paranoia. Uh, it was no longer, he, he even told me, like, I don't think people are breaking my phone. I realized I was making connections that uh, aren't there. But then it was an obsession on friends who had shunned him and had done him wrong. And it was the same filibustering, but this time now talking about friends who had done him wrong. And I think I I'd still, I disconnected again. Well, actually, this time he disconnected. But... Because, oh, because I'm, this, this story's already running long, so I'll just say he had said that one of the things that frustrates him is that it seems like when everyone talks to him, they talk to him with this pity, and they just are always feeling sorry for him and telling him, they don't ever tell him the truth, they just tell him what he wants to hear. And I realized I had been one of those people when he said that. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to go back to, to Joe, who just tells it like it is. So... I would tell it like it is. And so he would say, this friend doesn't talk to me because of this or blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, they don't. I go, I think you're, I think you're making, you don't know that's true. Talk to the friend, but don't, don't make up stories. You're making up stories right now. And then that's when he disconnected. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say there is a happy ending. So at the time I said, I had said that at the time and I still hold to this. That in June, he was like 60% better. He reconnected with me in September of this year, right before we started telling the story, whatever. And uh, I would say when he reconnected me, he was like 65, 70% better. I'm happy to say that even over the past few weeks or six weeks or so, I would say he's 80, 85% there. He um, he now knows when he's going on the obsession thing. I think the therapy is really working on him. And uh, I think he's getting better. I think we're going to – I don't know if we'll ever get him to 100%. But, you know, in a, in a weird way, Mike, I'll even tell you this. You know the issues that I had with Timothy. Mm-hmm. And I would obviously never recommend someone going on a meth binge and going through what <laughs> Timothy went through. But it did provide a hard reset on his brain. And it took a year for him to get better after the event. It's been over a year. But – it did provide a hard reset where a lot of the the issues that plagued Timothy, where he was obsessed with what people thought of him to the point of what happened, that's gone. He doesn't have that anymore. I mean, look, he's not a perfect person, but a lot of the things that used to drive us apart before, he no longer suffers from, from what I can tell. And he's very emotionally mature. You know, speaking of, actually, the same thing happened to his brother. You know, before his brother went to prison, I, I could barely talk to his brother because the brother was so, like, shy and introverted, you know? Like, like you would go, like, hi, so-and-so, and he'd be like, hi, and then, like, not talk and be weird, right? Mm-hmm. And the brother came back from prison, and all of a sudden, he was like, hey, Joe, what's going on? I was in prison. And I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, how? And then we started talking about it. I remember he was just like, oh, yeah, I used to... Um, Blow guys for money to buy heroin. And the brother's so fucking hot. And I was like, why didn't he ever call me? Anyway, um, uh, he became like a different person. I think Timothy is like the same way. I think that Timothy uh, for has made a lot of changes for the better. Uh, and in, in his recovery, he's discovered a lot about himself. And again, I would never recommend this for anybody. But I think in a weird kind of way, he may never be 100% of who he was before, but maybe that's a good thing. 
Did he manage to keep a job through all this? Yeah, because Timothy's company... Well, the, only the higher-ups know about the HIV status. Only, like, certain people he told. And so, it was... He never got in tr- His bosses, his direct bosses just assumed it was because of the HIV. And then everyone who works with him just knew that he was going through some sort of health thing. Sure. In fact, when he got home and went back to work, his boss gave him a huge hug. And if you actually think about it, the physical effects of meth addiction probably look similar to someone who's really ravaged with the effects of HIV. So uh, I think that, that that kind of helped. So, yeah, no, his job's great. He, and he said, actually, what was weird, even during the psychosis afterwards, was that because his job helped him focus, he, he, he was never crazy at his job. He now recognizes he was crazy. He's apologized. Sure. He was never crazy at work. It was just when he got home. Mm-hmm. And so he just always thought people were breaking his computer. And I will say, look, when I say he's 85%, Here's the uh, yesterday is a perfect example, and then we'll end the story and go back to the regular show. Is he called me yesterday and he said we had a normal conversation about politics and blah blah blah, blah. and then he goes, "Hey, you know, I want to talk to you because I know I'm prone to making connections that aren't there, but X Y Z is happening with my computer, and I just want to talk to somebody who knows to com- about computers to help me understand what's going on." I don't want to make these connections. And so I connected him with a friend of ours. And Timothy talked to the friend and said, this is what's happening. And he was like, well, I don't know. I just think you should just uh, <laughs> just re-download um, uh, Windows 10. And he was okay. like, okay, okay. So this is blah, blah, blah. He asked questions. And, and uh, Adam was just like, yeah, just, just do it. Yeah, that's my advice. And Adam didn't know what was going on. You know, I didn't tell Adam, like, blah, 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 blah. Adam's going to know now when he hears this. Sure. But, and he'll know Timothy's real name. <laughs> oh, that's fine. I just don't want the public at large. Okay. You know, knowing. So that's, that is that is the end. So, so I guess there is, would you say it's a happy ending? Well, I would say it's a, it's, the story's not done. I mean, yeah. let's see how long he can, um, you know, be, I, clean's not the right word. How do you, what word do you use? Drug free, sober. Is that how you say it? Let's see how long he could hold on to sobriety and let, I hope for the best. And Yeah, so uh, far from what I've seen for the past six weeks is one, look, early on in the six weeks since we've reconnected, he would, he would get into it with me because I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree that XYZ has happened. And over the past six weeks, he's gotten even remarkably more centered since then. And so I hope he continues his path of recovery. It's really, really promising. Great. So there you go. Thanks. Well, everybody listening, that was just a quick update, uh, catching up with a, a story that we kind of let fall off. Uh, but join us next week for a full episode of Catching Up, um, available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to another episode of Catching Up. Find a new episode each week at cupodcast.com, in iTunes, or in the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash cupodcast. Follow us on Twitter at cupodcast. Email us at guys at cupodcast.com. Or call our listener line at 510-239-7798. Use action to defeat worry and fear. Do something to change what can be changed, and you'll no longer be afraid.